Welcome back to another episode of Bed Letter. Thank you for joining me, your host, Christian Ashelman. Special treat for everybody today, we've got Malik Boykin, an interview with a professor at Brown University. Uh, me and Malik talked about a lot during our interview, um, and so I'm planning on releasing the uh, interview over the course of several different parts. Um, with the first part today, talking about Malik's introduction into psychology and how he weaves his production of music in with his academic career. After our interview, I ended up having a couple of additional thoughts that I wanted to dictate and detail over on my Substack. So I did just that. Um, you can find links to Malik's music, especially his new song, Dancing for Freedom, uh, at the bottom um, under the description of this episode, um, as well as over on the Substack article that I um, have published. You can also find links to his social platforms, his lab research, and a whole bunch more in the description. And don't forget that the best way to give back to the show is to subscribe to the Substack newsletter. Um, you can do that for free, or you can pay five bucks a month to get that newsletter and these podcasts straight to your inbox. Again, that's over at bedletter.substack.com. That link is in the description as well. Now, let's hop into this interview. I really hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks. Today we are meeting with Dr. C. Malik Boykin, who is currently the, an assistant professor in the Department of Cognitive, Linguistic, and Psychological Sciences at Brown University. Dr. Boykin has a doctorate in social and personality psychology from UC Berkeley and a master's degree in social organizational psychology from Columbia University. His research focuses on intergroup relations, hierarchy prejudice, mentorship, and racial identity. Alongside all of that, Malik is a well-respected rapper and musician who goes under the name Malik Sarks in his music and recently released his new inspiring single, Dancing for Freedom. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, uh, Malik. Thank you for taking the time to join me. It truly is a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the, uh, the kind introduction and, and the, you sharing your platform with me. Thanks a lot, man. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, let's just get right into this. Uh, you obviously are a very well accomplished academic and have, with big interests in psychology, sociology, and human interaction. Um, I'm always interested in how uh, people get involved in psych, you know, like what pulls them into the field. Um, so what do you think it is about psychology and sociology that really pulled you in? What, what interests you the most about these two fields? Yeah, totally. Uh, so, you know, there is a very kind of unique component of my upbringing that I didn't realize was quite as unique as it was in my childhood. But I'm actually a, a second-generation psychology professor. And, you know, even, even more, <laughs> probably even more interesting than that, it's like while I'm the first Black tenure-track psychology professor here in this department at Brown, um, my father was the first Black tenure-track professor professor of psychology in the department at Cornell. And so, you know, you know, I was born in Ithaca, New York. And then um, by the time, you know, I was in elementary school, by the time I was in kindergarten, my father had left Cornell to be a professor at Howard University that had this new burgeoning PhD program, um, you know, one of the first of its kind at an HBCU. 
And so, you know, when people think about what it's like to, you know, spend a day at the office with your parent or, you know, if there's like a lapse in childcare or something, you got to go to the, you're, you're there at the office. For me, that was be at Howard University where the graduate students pursuing psychology were black and many of my dad's colleagues up and down the hallway were black. And so, yeah, it was like, it just seemed normal. It just seemed like a normal thing to do, right? And, um, and then I um, took a high school class, uh, a high school psychology class uh, at my public high school uh, in PG County, good old High Point High School, and I really loved that class, and you know, it just felt like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what my daddy does. He's got this this cool little uh, uh, niche of of you know, learning about human behavior. And then I got to Howard University as a student and took social psychology from Jaya John, which to this day is probably one of the my favorite classroom experiences I've ever had, where Jaya, who left academia to become a poet, would open up class every every uh, time, you know, either, you know, burning an incense and reading one of his own poems or inviting students to come to the front of the class and do a, a, an expression or tell a story or play an instrument. And as long as they could tie that that particular um, expression or performance to social psychology and to the psychology of human interaction, then it was permissible. And it was, you know, I had never seen anything like it. Uh, I have pulled it into my practice, and I credit him more than anyone with uh, my desire to pursue social psychology and the psychology of human interaction. Shout out to the good brother Jaya John and uh, shout out to my dad, Wade Boykin, um, for both, you know, uh, inspiring me to go into this direction. Absolutely. That that sounds like that sounds like my kind of classroom. I'm not going to lie. I love writing poetry. Um, I've had a couple uh, episodes already on my my show where I have read my own poems Um Poetry is huge for me. And I think that's awesome that he ties in the, you know, music or anything else that, cause you can tie all those things so well in with social psychology, all these different types of things. So that is awesome. That is huge. Um, so another, another question that I wanted to ask you was um, being a musician and having a, you know, a strong, being a strong academic at the same time seems like two kind of completely different things, I guess. But I, I love how you have sort of tied the two together so well, um, which kind of plays into what we were just talking about. Uh, they sort of they sort of complement each other really well here. And um, so my question is really, how do you think that aspects in one vein of what you've learned, you know, producing music, making music in, and, and all of that have, have helped you be um, more successful in another vein, which is your academic career, your um, it's like you're being a psychologist and, and vice versa. You know, that is, uh, that is such a phenomenal question. And I think that the, the, the answer to that could probably take up the whole time. So I'm going to try to give you, you know, the, the really succinct versions, right? 
because you know there's the part of it where um you know you listen to music like a psychologist and you find questions or thoughts and ideas about you know questions to pursue from from music right but there's also the part of my life where i had to navigate the music industry where you know all of the different kinds of networking and relationship building uh and the the types of collaboration that goes into creating songs right there's like the producer and there's the person that knows how to play the saxophone and the person that sings and the person that did the the track and person with the equipment and you kind of got to uh you know coordinate all of these people to be at the same place at the same time and i really feel like academia um especially in psychology where collaborative papers are are really you know normal you know there's some disciplines where people are expected to you know write solo authored papers all the time but psychology really is a, a and a, and social psychology specifically really is a collaborative science and so you know going to the the conference and talking to people and you know getting their ideas and finding the person that knows how to do the statistical method and finding the person that knows how to do this or that has access to the the population that you want to study these these components of collaboration and and you know just kind of the ease of which I'm able to navigate um you know networking in that that style has has come out of being socialized for so many years in the music industry so you know there's there's that component of it but then there's also you know I don't want to bore people I don't want to bore people when I'm giving talks I want to make sure that you know there's something that's unique about the way that i present the information and something unique about you know how i uh show up that that you know brings together some entertainment value that brings together um you know some some uh just added uh you know audio visual experience uh and the the last thing i'll say is that you know when i I uh, did my job talk here at uh, Brown. My whole talk was couched in the ways that my research is tied to the themes from Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet album and album cover. So I took this album art uh and the way that the album art uh for that particular classic record uh really just had metaphors that illustrated my research and that's just not something i would have been able to do or been able to know if i wasn't so steeped in music and it gave people an entry point into the music there were you know many people that will show up and say hey you know i really loved that album and i really see how what you're saying maps onto that or there were people that say um you know I really liked how you did that with the album cover I want to go listen to this album now and they'll get a a a a um you know a musical representation uh of how there's some synergy between Chuck these tunes and my research right like you know the 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 many musicians many hip hop artists are are giving you the sociology that they read they're giving you the history that they read in the tunes and um you know i just feel like i have a steep education uh 
from, you know, the academic coursework that I've taken, but also from the music that I have consumed that has informed my perspective because art tracks society and always has. Absolutely. I feel like these are two things that are so perfectly, like on one hand, um, it's really easy to think, like I said earlier, of how um, being a musician or, or operating in the music industry or just, you know, enjoying playing music can feel so different from academia, from research, from, you know, mathematics, from all these things. But like, I've, I've always felt like they belong so much more together. And so I don't know, coming across another person who has, I mean, done that with your song, with your different, all the stuff you've done. I, I, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. No, I, I totally feel that. And it, there's just, you know, I feel like the, the music industry metaphors uh, for academia, for, <laughs> for, for myself and, uh, you know, some of my dear friends who grew up in the, in the, you know, grew up on hip hop music are just, they just feel so natural, right? Like, uh, you know, my, my dear brother, Chike, uh, Chike Agbonu, who's a genetics professor who I've written with uh, over at Yale University, you know, he talks about how, you know, in this early stages of our careers as academics, we're basically mixtape rappers just out there trying to <laughs> trying to get, you know, whoever is going to be sympathetic to what we have to say to to, you know, put their eyes and ears on what it is, um, you know, that we're doing. And then in a lot of the ways uh, that people level up in academia it's like you know creating research that people find important you know putting putting papers out there that people are citing or talking about and you know in, in some ways that's no different than making a hit record right like you're producing a, a piece of media that gets traction that that gets people talking you know and um I mean, like, what's the difference between that and, you know, what, what uh, you know, Jay-Z's trying to do or what Nas is trying to do uh, from that regard? So I, I just, you know, I, I think that you're really spot on with the way that these uh, industries are, you know, are essentially media producing industries where folks are, are trying to get their ideas out to the people and frame things in a way that uh, resonates with the people. Yeah. That is so perfectly said, I think. Um <laughs> that is the analogy of of jay-z there is just so that's so that's so similar because you do you learn so much about uh humanity and culture and all this from you know reading psychology research and and seeing how these studies are done and all this but you also learn so much more about the deeper almost even more deeper stuff the real manifestation of it all when you you know listen to jay-z rapping or any you know kendrick any of these people it's 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 awesome. So that that is an awesome comparison. I love that for sure. Right. And that's like one of the things, you know, central themes that I study is hierarchy and inequality, right? Well, like, you know, Jay-Z's from Marcy Projects. His whole outlook is is informed by, you know, inequality and trying to navigate, you know, income inequality and and, you know, the, the effects, it's like the narrative of a person who's experiencing firsthand the effects of redlining and or, you know, the kinds of things that, that um, you know, cause the projects in New York City to go from being, you know, a middle class uh, um, housing intervention to a place that, you know, people were, uh, where the cast offs of society were uh, uh, sent, you know, such is the, the subject of, you know, 
a hard knock life record that he created, right? And so, you know, I mean, there are the firsthand narratives of people that are navigating the kinds of struggles that the sociologists and the social psychologists are really trying to highlight. So that is where we are going to conclude the first part of mine and Malik's discussion, uh, with the rest coming soon. Uh, Links to Malik's content can be found in the description of this episode. You'll find links to his music, his new song, Dancing for Freedom, um, as well as his lab research and uh, links to his social platforms as well. Again, you can head to bedletter.substack.com and you can find an article that I wrote specifically um, geared towards this episode that's got all these links as well as some additional insight and thoughts I was having uh, post-interview. Be sure to definitely go and check that out and check out Malik's content. Awesome guy. I was super, super grateful. Big thank you to have Malik on the podcast. I really appreciated having that conversation. Um, It was really inspiring and got me thinking about a whole lot of different things in my life. So... Big thanks to Malik for talking with me, sitting down and talking with me. Really good time. Um, Again, the best way to show support for the show, for Bedletter, head to bedletter.substack.com. There you can subscribe. You can subscribe for free and get access to some of the content or uh, pay five bucks a month and you get access to all of it. You'll be getting, you can get emails whenever we, um, you know, post post a new podcast, post a new uh, article, things like that. So hugely appreciate the the support there. I hope you guys have an awesome week and I'll see you next time on Bed Letter. <laughs>